Hey friend, if you're here for the first time, start from the beginning. This is now the fourth episode of Finding Hazel, a podcast about a forgotten writer Hazel Hawthorne and my journey of retracing her story. I'm Inka Leisma, and I just got off the ferry from Travemünde to Helsinki. Feels great to be back home. Welcome to Finland, the land of a thousand lakes and a tiny population of 5.5 million people. We're a small Nordic country, located between Sweden, Norway and Russia. Looking at how well we do in various international rankings related to, say, happiness, education, gender equality or our contributions to the common good, you'll be surprised to learn that approximately 72% of Finland's total land area is covered in forest. Growing up, I spent a lot of time hiking in the woods, camping out in the quiet of pine trees and spruces, and taking a dip in the many clear-watered lakes we have. Now that I'm back home, one of the first things on my to-do list is to go for a little hike in the local forest with my dog. As I walk in the forest, listen to the birds chirping and breathe in the smell of pine, I think of Hazel. One of the 66 articles the volunteers of Middleborough Public Library scanned for me lingers on my mind. The article reads, Mrs. Celian Ufford and children Jane, Margaret, John and Nancy will sail for Hamburg, Germany about May 1st, where they will be guests of friends of Mr. Ufford's family. They will visit in Hamburg and Berlin until after Christmas, when Mrs. Ufford plans to settle in the south of France to study and pursue her literary career. Mr. Ufford is to teach at Harvard next year. Mrs. Ufford was before her marriage Miss Hazel Harthorn of this town. This must be the trip abroad Hazel was planning in the summer of 1927 in the dunes, at Peacot Hill Lifesaving Station, where Edmund Wilson also summered. You remember, Wilson writes about Hazel's travel plans in his diary. A lot seems to have happened in Hazel's private life in the ten years after arriving to Provincetown in 1918. She married when she was only 18, and by the age of 27, she was a mother of four. And now this 27-year-old wannabe writer is on a steamship to Germany with four children. I'm a little amazed that our paths cross this way. I just sailed out of Germany, and of all the places Hazel could have traveled to in the world, she too ended up in Germany. Now what are the odds of that? Let's take a step back and talk a bit about Hazel's name, Hawthorne. It rings a bell, right? Well, let me ease your mind. She is one of those Hawthorns. Her forefathers, brothers John and William Hawthorne, came across the Atlantic in 1630 with Governor Winthrop. The Hawthorne family of Salem, Massachusetts, that's the one. The name was originally written without the W, It was just the Hawthorne family, sometimes also spelled as Hawthorne. I really need some help with the different pronunciations, but yes, 
Hazel is a distant relative of the 19th century writer Nathaniel Hawthorne, who shocked the world in 1850 when he published The Scarlet Letter, a book that tells the story of Hester Prynne and touches on sensitive topics of adultery, sin and guilt. As far as I know, Hazel and Nathaniel are from different branches of the family, branches that started to grow in separate directions already back in the 1600s. It's the same family, same forefathers, even if there are many generations and different branches of family between them. There are also other famous Hawthorns in the family that you may have heard of. Take the Salem witch trials of the 1690s, for example. One of the infamous judges was called John Hawthorne. The story has it that the writer Nathaniel Hawthorne, some hundred and fifty years later, added the letter W to the spelling of the family name to distance himself from the judge and the questionable legacy he brought upon the entire family. And perhaps the judge brought something else to the family too. You see, some sources say one of the women accused of being a witch in trial, found guilty by the judge and consequently hanged, put a curse on the judge. A curse, condemning him and his family to several generations of madness. Yes, madness. Now, whether this is true or not, we will never know. I'm totally creeped out by the curse, but quite honestly, I'm even more creeped out by the mass hysteria which led to the witch hunts in the first place. I'm pretty sure none of the hanged women were witches, but maybe they were seen as unconventional. Most likely, they were just regular women living their lives and trying to find happiness. Just like Hazel, or me, or anyone I know. I hit a jackpot in research. I get access to correspondence between Hazel and Edmund Wilson. The correspondence begins after the summer of 1927. I read way faster than I should. I devour every line, every word. The familiar question pops back to my head as I run through the pages for the first time. Has anyone ever read Hazel's letters to Edmund after they were filed? Is someone somewhere reading these letters right now? Sometimes I struggle to decipher Hazel's handwriting, as it changes quite a bit from letter to letter and from year to year. But within a week, I've gone through all the letters, typed them clean the best that I can, and organized them to a timeline. And a few paragraphs from the letters of 1928 stand out. This is what Hazel writes before she traveled. Dear Edmund, now I'll send some short things that I've done recently, but I'm doubtful that I can do anything else for a while. It's indiscreet to reveal and all that, but you ought to know that rather than surmise mere laziness, that I'm going to have another baby. I've never been able to write during pregnancies and lactation, being all morbid, tearful, and quite stupid. Another difficulty is that for some time to come, I shall shudder at everything around me and how the hell can anybody perceive truth, significance or beauty when in that condition? I'll try, but I have little confidence in whatever I'll do. 
months prior to traveling, Hazel published a poem. It's called Even in Hell, and it's published in a poetry magazine called Voices. The magazine was published in the 20s and early 30s, and it wanted to be an open forum for the poets. All in all, Hazel published two poems in Voices in the late 20s, but I think we need to take a closer look at the one she published in the spring of 1928. Even in Hell. And here's how it goes. Even in Hell, we two shall stay close, fierce and shy, remembering Earth's far, one-lighted day. Remembering how a sun could fling pale splendor, when our eyes burned clear in sinister fire and knowing dark, wistful to keep Earth's beauty near, let us not speak through cerebrous bark, and we are dead. Across the stream where Sharon dips the oar unblessed, our glances mingling in a dream, we too shall pass, still unconfessed. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) But to me the poem sounds like some sort of goodbye or conclusion. It's like a thick forest of unpleasant feelings, heavy with the weight of life and the choices one makes. What do you think? The journey to Hamburg took ten days on the sea, and it wasn't easy, especially for pregnant Hazel. It was most likely the first time she travelled abroad. But with an open and curious mind, and taste for adventure, she was willing to accept whatever lie ahead. But their visit in Hamburg was short, only ten days, after which Hazel and the children headed north to the coast. And what do you know? They got settled in a small village by the Baltic Sea. The summer passed, and in October it was time to head back to Hamburg. Hazel writes to Edmund. Dear Edmund, I'm writing to tell you that I have another little girl. She's Sally, and is a perfectly good baby, to put it modestly. I lost a little boy, and it's a great grief, because it would have been so wonderful to have him. It couldn't be helped. The twins crowded each other at birth, and he received a brain lesion which injured the breathing center of the brain, so he didn't have half a chance to live. But I have the little Sally safe and sound, and she comforts me for him. Hold on. My gut feeling? I think it may have been right. Hazel's story on the Baltic seems to have a lot of autobiographical elements in it. You remember, it tells the story of a woman who is divorced, travels to Germany, is pregnant, and gives birth to twins, and tragically loses the other twin at birth. I mean, Hazel and Celian were still married at this time, but they were about to get divorced. The year 1929 was about to change everything for Hazel. She does not know it yet, but all the things she had longed for since her teenage years were about to come true. Waves, sunlight, moonlight, rain, the wild nights, freedom, youth, and beauty. Just as she had written ten years earlier in her first published poem, 15 years old. 
Our heroine is now 28 years old, as far as I can tell, without a high school or college degree, but with a passion for literature and writing, a mother of five, wife of a learned man, no matter how many cracks had started to appear in their marriage, it seems. She had seen the large tragedy of Europe collapsing into World War I and the United States joining the war. Hazel had had the right to vote since 1920. She had published poetry and a short story and found the right people to mentor her. Even the talking movies, the talkies, had just been introduced in the late 20s. Hazel had plans to keep on writing. Despite the personal upheavals, there were threads of hope to hold on to. So what happened then in 1929, after Hazel and the children returned home from Germany? Well, it's obvious Hazel did not settle in the south of France to pursue her literary career as she had initially planned. Instead, she joined her husband Celian in running a tea house, a small restaurant, at the then newly opened summertime theatre Cape Playhouse in Dennis, up Cape. The restaurant was called As You Like It, after a famous William Shakespeare play. Hazel would visit the dunes of Picaril as often as she could, and towards the end of the summer, she made a decision. She would stay in the old Picaril life-saving station all through the fall and winter. In September 1929, Hazel wrote to Edmund that she's en route to Peaked Hill. Her plan was to stay up there all winter, if Eugene O'Neill is willing. Spending the autumn on the dunes allowed Hazel to immerse herself in the brilliant shades of yellows and reds. The woods were brightly coloured, as were the bushes and all the dune grass. Hazel had read her thorough and perhaps felt as if she was embarking on an independent journey of her own, just like Henry David Thoreau so many years before her. Hazel experienced the most genuine, long-lasting and profound feelings of happiness on the dunes. She would ride her pony on the beach in the night and feel the misty ocean breeze run through her hair. Had she ever felt as free as she did now? Maybe she did not consciously think of the yearning of her first published poem, but a tidal wave of change was about to sweep over her life. Now, I married when I was rather young. I got divorced when I was rather young. But my personal life never made it to the headlines of the New York Times, the Herald Tribune, or the Daily Boston Globe. Hazel's did. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, I'll make a surprising discovery from Instagram and talk to some of Hazel's relatives. If you're curious for updates on the project, follow my journey in Instagram at Finding Hazel Hawthorne. And while you're at it, why don't you make a quick visit to FindingHazelHawthorne.com? This podcast is produced by Inka Leisma and Essie Isomäki, hosted by Inka Leisma. Quoting articles from the Middleborough Gazette on April 20th, 1928, Hazel Hawthorne's poem, Even in Hell, reproduced with permission of the Hazel Hawthorne estate, available in Voices Magazine, Volume 7, Number 4, February 1928. Hazel Hawthorne's letter to Edmund Wilson, quoted with permission of the Hazel Hawthorne estate, available at Edmund Wilson Papers, Yale Collection of American Literature, 
Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library, Yale University. Background audio clips from Freesound users Primordiality, Monotraum, and Ule Arkisto. Theme song by Studio Le Bas.